This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Peter I'm the founder of Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. All right, well, we got Dan on the line. And I started thinking, I probably shouldn't have shared those pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we got Don Higgins on. Um, anything that's got to do with uh, chasing big deer, I've got my hands in it somehow. So. Well, my name's John Eberhardt. The first one that comes to mind was early in my career. I'm Scott Buckley from Iowa. Um, I had jumped him in the summer, too. He jumped up in that swamp grass down in the bottom lake. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm chasing it. There ain't nothing stopping me. Justin Hollinsworth. I'm with Whitetail Addictions and uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. So what are we talking about tonight? We're uh, we're talking about the one that got away. They talked about a deer that you didn't get it done on for some reason. Um, so uh, go ahead and get into the story of the one that got away. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes on this beautiful, cold January day. We got a good episode coming for you guys today. We got Chad from Exodus. Guy had an absolute epic hunt out in Kansas. Shot an absolute tank. Um, he's going to run us through the story of that buck and uh, how he's able to be successful kind of on the off-the-wall tactic, which is super cool. Really excited to talk to him and get into this story. First, we're going to get into the people that make this possible. So speaking of Chad, um, we talk about Exodus Trail Cams. So we're going to give you the Trail Cam Tip of the Week. And this week, we're going to come at you. Right now, there's a lot of ice hunters out there, and there's a lot of people start coyote hunting and shed hunting, squirrel hunting on these public lands. So if you have cameras out on public still, 
it's a really good time to go ahead and snag them cams or um, start thinking about how to get a lock on them. And Exodus has uh, Python locks and lockbox options, either one that you can get on their website. And it's a great option. We use the Python locks a great. The Exodus cams are actually mounted, built to where the, the Python cable will go right through the back and strap to the tree. So don't have to worry about that. All right, moving on to uh, Rideon Optics, guys. Um, they have a lot of new gear coming out. They got a new spotting scope, four new scopes, a new binos. So check them out on uh, RideonOptics.com. Um, and also check out, check out their podcast. I've been listening to that quite a bit and uh, a lot of good content on there. Um, a lot of good hunting stories, um, a lot of good uh, gun information, gun laws and stuff like that to go over. So pretty cool there. Um, Next level deer supplement, guys, this is the most important time to feed your deer herd right now. And uh, if you don't want to uh, have to pay the shipping fee and you want to try a couple bags to see how your deer like uh, next level, they will be at the Iowa Deer Classic here coming up. And last but not least, um, last breath, um, guys, if you want to watch any of our hunting content from the last year, um, it is on YouTube. We still have a couple more videos to go up. Um, from the this year but a ton of content on there and uh we'll be uh starting to shoot turkeys soon so hopefully find some sheds and shoot some coyotes in between but all right let's get into this show here we go all right guys we got chad the absolute buck slayer and the biggest second biggest biceps i know in the game out there. <laughs> <laughs> who has the first tonight, man? <laughs> who, who has the first oh man have you seen garrett garrett Boygus on last yeah. breath. Yeah. Yeah. He's got some giant biceps on him. I yeah, never I know. seen a moose. I never seen moose up close, but I bet you he's got. Uh, some yeah. He's the, on him. yeah. Yeah. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan's Jack for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Second's, yeah. Like, oh, second's yeah, better yeah. than third. Yeah. Yeah. Second. I mean, I haven't got a close up eye shot of yours. I get, nah, uh, I don't, I don't do I that get, stuff anymore. Yeah. I get, I get some very explicit picks from Garrett. I mean, they're too explicit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all right, man, well, we had you on not to talk about biceps. We had you on to talk about your Kansas hunt, man. Absolute yeah. epic. Um, I watched your video last week and I was like, man, I got to have you on. I think more people need to see this video just cause it's kind of, it's different and it's a giant buck and it's, you know, you're just a normal guy like us able to go out there and just put the work in and kill what everybody dreams of doing, you know what I mean? But uh, you give a short introduction of who you are and what you do, and then we'll just get right into the story. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on Cody. Appreciate it. Um, it's always uh, good to catch up with you guys. I know we text back and forth occasionally, but it's always yeah. like, there's a, there's a gap. So it's always good to get on the phone and chat a little bit, but um. I am a owner operator of Exodus Outdoor Gear, which is AKA Exodus Trail Cameras. Been doing that for seven years, uh, full time. Reside in Ohio, and um, yeah, it's a direct to consumer um, business model. I know that uh, we we've known you guys and worked with you guys on and off, or I guess on for it's probably been three or four years now. Mm -hmm. um, so just a busy, crazy, hectic life. Husband, uh, father of two little kids. Um, you know got life pulling you in, you know, a hundred different directions. And I, you know, just try to hunt as much as I can when, it, when the, when the schedule allows. And sometimes you have to force the schedule to allow it. Um, but that's really it. I'm, I mean, I'm just a normal guy. There's a lot of people that 
kind of look at people who work in the industry and they think, oh my God, they get to hunt for a living. They get to go do all this other stuff. It must be so cool. And it is cool. It's awesome being in the industry, but at the same point in time, like there's a company to run. It's still a job. We have employees. Like not only do I worry about myself, but I worry about my employees. Um, so there's just, yeah, a, a lot there and it'll get pulled in a lot of different directions and don't always get to hunt as much as I would like, but um, it's worth the, I guess it's worth the sacrifice in the long run. Yeah. I mean, you guys put a ton of road time for whitetail yeah. cribs and all that. Plus, you know, recording podcasts in person with multiple different people and trying to go on hunts when you can. But a lot of your hunting time is talking about hunting instead of actually hunting because you're you're trying to bring content for people and, you know, sure. and make a business. So that's a sack base. You have to, you know, there's a, it's a labor of love, I, I'm sure. But uh, definitely better to be out in the woods kind of by yourself, just trying to kill a giant whitetail like you did. So, sure. Um, Let's get into this Kansas hunt, man. What, yeah, man. <laughs> why did you want to go to Kansas in the first place? Honestly, um, it stemmed from watching Jared Scheffler and Chancey Walters and the Whitetail Adrenaline guys and the style yeah. that they uh, approached kind of that open terrain and that prairie ground hunting. They have freaking fun. They're not, you know, stuck in the big woods, not seeing a whole lot of deer in these low deer density areas because typically that's a lot of what I'm hunting is uh, hill country, low deer density. And we're at the point in the business now where it's pretty not self-sustaining, but there's time for me to take off. So the last two years, I've been able to take travel trips um, in November. And last year I did Missouri, missed the buck. Uh, this year it was Kansas. So it, yeah, man, it really stemmed from the whitetail adrenaline guys and seeing them spot and stock and, you know, basically have fun while yeah, they're, they're hunting. Not so yeah, serious. They're in my top five for, for content creation. Oh yeah. Every they're, year. They're number yeah. one for me. I mean, yeah, I love unbelievable. Chancey. If I could hunt with any dude, it would probably be that guy. Like yeah. just <laughs> a week in the van with him, just bopping around would be, yeah. would be awesome, man. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, um, we kind of have this schedule laid out. I do a lot of that, those travel hunts with Clint Campbell and, uh, we kind of have a roadmap of what state we're going to hit, you know, in 2022 and 2023. So we have kind of an idea of, um, you know, where we're going to be in the next several years. And Kansas was obviously on our list. It's a great state to hunt. It's getting a little bit harder to draw as a non-resident. Um, so I wanted to take advantage of that as soon as I could before that point creep really started to take, take effect. Um, so I ended up drawing that tag with a point in my pocket. So when we were in, uh, in 2020, we knew we were going to be hunting Missouri and we knew we were going to be in Kansas in, in 2021. So I went ahead and bought a point um, for Kansas and then knowing that, that I was going to be out there in the fall on basically on somewhat limited time, I say, um, in the spring, we decided to take the guys from the office on a long weekend turkey hunt for like four days. So in the springtime, you know, we bought everyone's tags. Josh Prophet actually went with us and um, Cameron and Jake and those guys ended up ditching out in the last second. So there's actually only three of us that went. But for me, that turkey hunting trip was as much of going out, laying eyes on the ground for deer season, doing some scouting, some spring scouting, hang some cameras if I felt like it was a piece I would have interest in um, to give me a kind of jump start for, for November. So that's, you know, even though the hunt was in November, it really started in, it really started in May with that, with that spring scouting. And we went to just about every, well, we did, we went to every public piece in that unit. 
um, in, a, in four days. So I did not kill a bird on that trip, but uh, Josh and Jason both killed birds. And then I spent my, the majority of my time scouting. And I think, you know, it was a thousand mile trip from our office, from home base to that unit or where we were camping at least. And then we drove another wow. thousand miles in four days, just driving around that unit, going to the different Weehaw pieces. I mean, it was, we were just covering all kinds of ground and um, a lot like you would expect Kansas to be a lot of, a lot of open, um, a lot of open country. Really the only timber we found is in the Creek bottoms. I mean, and that's kind of a, I guess a pretty standard rule of thumb for Kansas. Um, a lot of CRP. The one thing that really, surprised me was how much terrain was there as far as like topography elevation change around the waterways and drainages um you know i had talked to talked to jared about where, where we were going and kind of his approach to glassing deer and i knew from the spring trip that um glassing deer would be harder than what i thought it was i thought i would be just be able to drive down the road you know glass deer from the road but those ditches and draws and waterways were so intricate um, deer would get in them and then there would be five or six, seven branches that would go off the different drainages and you would lose, you know, you'd lose visual of them. So it's a little bit harder than what I expected, but the long and short of it is we scouted every single piece in May on that, um, on that Turkey hunt. We hung some cameras and hung some cell cameras, hung some regular cameras. And there was a, we found a lot of deer sign and on our, we were just getting ready to wrap the trip up and, and head home. There was one piece I had marked on my map that was way out of the way. I mean, it was an hour from any other walk-in and it was only a 200 and I'm going to call it like a 250, 288 acre chunk, but it was out in the middle of nowhere, no other walk-in around it. And it was surrounded by, by ag and it had a little small Creek system running through it, had some timber and had a mix of CRP. So there's a lot of diversity there. Yeah. And um, from the map, I thought like, all right, well, if someone's going to hunt this piece, they're driving way out of the way. Cause you can't, I mean, you, again, you drive an hour to get to another piece. So it's not a piece that you could go and say, okay, I'm going to go check it out. If it's not any good, I'm just going to go to the next piece. Like you're almost burning a half a day just to go down there and walk it. So when we scouted it, that piece had the most deer sign on it but it also had uh, a ton of human sign. There were old stands left up. There were trail cameras left up. Um, we bumped deer walking through there. And um, in the back of my mind, I was like, all right, well, this has the most deer sign in it, but it also has the most people sign it. And it had limited access. You can only access it from the North. And when I go on these out-of-state trips, like in Missouri, we fought pressure for the first seven days. We were just trying to get away from people. And we couldn't do it. So in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, take as many variables out of the hunt as possible and worry about the things you can control. So I'm always kind of planning my out of state hunts or my road hunts, my travel hunts around where I can get away from pressure. And then I'll make do with whatever kind of whatever I have. Um, so after walking that piece, I didn't put any cameras up and Josh and those guys were like, I can't believe you're not putting any cameras up. This is the most deer sign we found. And I was like, listen, man, I, like I just don't want to deal with people. Um, so I had kind of written that piece off thinking I'll find deer elsewhere. Like, I don't want to have to deal with, with people or, or, or whatever, um, when I'm on a, on a short trip like this. So I wrote that piece off and just kind of kept it in my back pocket and left it as a last resort come, come November, really. So I guess you fast forward to November. Um, 
I think we drove out there on November 6th or 7th, I think. So we got out there the 8th and cell cameras were going nuts on one particular piece. We had two shooters on there. Um, we were driving across Interstate 80 and cameras were, were going off. And that is really where I wanted to focus most of my attention. And Clint had already been in there hunting. He got there a day before me. Um, didn't have an encounter, but he saw a really good deer. One of the deer we had in cameras and they're, you know, 150 inches plus. So I'm like, there's two shooters in here. Um, it's a big enough piece where we can both hunt kind of the Creek system. You take one side, we'll take, I'll take the other side and, and we'll just kind of, and see how it goes. So we did that for a day and all I saw was rack bucks, just small rack bucks. I'm sitting in a tree and I'm like, you know, I know this is Kansas and you got to put your time in. It's the rut, but I got to be able to, you know, go out and, and, and scout and visual visually um, try to glass deer and see what else is going on in this unit. Um, I didn't want to just sit and kind of keep my fingers crossed and hope for the best thing to happen. So the next morning we went and glassed the piece, saw more deer. Um, actually it was in a big Milo field. And I mean, the walk in there was, it was a square mile. So 640 acres. And I was up on an oil tank, glassed some deer and, uh, they were headed towards the next road. So, um, Clint and I were both together that morning. And, uh, I guess prior to the trip, I had built a decoy going back to the white tail adrenaline guys, you know, you've seen them use decoys on bedded deer or spot stock stuff with a decoy. And I'm like, dude, that looks so intense. Unbelievable. Like got to try it. Right. So we built these decoys, brought them with us and, um, we glassed those deer. And when we first saw them, they were coming out of a drainage and there were three does coming up in that Milo field. And then there was a deer behind them that was kind of not running, but kind of trotting, like kind of bumping them along, but they were so far away. Couldn't really get a good look at what, what it actually was. And by the time I got my spotting scope over, they were in a Milo and they kind of just disappeared. So we were like, all right, well, let's jump in a truck. We will circle around them, try to lay eyes on them again and uh, see if we can't make a move with that decoy or something, you know? So we drove around that square block and parked the truck kind of down in a dip. We crawled up to the edge of this hill and there were two bucks standing out in the middle of the road. I'm like, okay, they're milling around. They're a couple hundred yards away from us. I'm like, let's, I'm going to grab this decoy. Clint grabs the camera. I'm like, let's hop in this Milo and we'll sneak our way down there. We get it within a hundred yards of them. I'll, you know, present that decoy and we'll, we'll see what happens. So as we kind of sneaked over into that Milo field, the deer that we saw in the morning that we had glassed, there was a small buck with those three does. They were within 20 yards of us as we were kind of creeping over in that Milo. We kind of caught each other at the same, at the same time. And I just, flashed that decoy and they want no part of it, man. They just, they fired up and took off. It was, uh, I was like, shit. Okay. Well, that didn't work on that one. I wouldn't probably shot him anyways, but, uh, so we were watching this 130 inch whitetail work through this wheat field. That was one of the deer that was, was out on the road. And that deer went in the small Island of, uh, of timber on the backside of backside of that wheat field, basically had a draw system in it. And we watched him go in there, never seen him pop out. So we were like, all right, well, he's, he's in there bedded. Let's, let's go get him, you know? So we pissed around with that deer for probably, probably a couple hours. And a long and short of it is we should have been patient and just sat on that deer and killed him that night when he got up out of his bed to where he was, uh, wherever he was going to go. Instead, we were super aggressive. We, um, we got it within a hundred yards, you know, set that decoy up, made a blind set, smashed some antlers together. The deer never stood up, never responded. So we didn't think he was there. And then when we got up and advanced like another 20, 20 yards, he jumped up out of his bed and you know, he was out of there, tore out a bat, like a bat out of hell. Um, so that was really kind of the first two days. 
And going into the hunt, like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to spot and stalk and shoot one with a decoy. Like, I had that in my mind, like, how awesome that would be. So I always had that thought running in the back of my mind. Um, the rest of that afternoon, we basically just drove. Drove around, tried to glass deer from the road. We saw, like, a 140-inch buck from the road, but he was on private, couldn't do anything with him. And then we saw another bigger deer later that night that was on private, um, too far from any walking, couldn't do anything with him. And the next day we knew it was going to be hot. Um, movement probably wasn't going to be very good. And I think this was the, this was the ninth, I think. Yeah, this was the ninth. Um, so we spent a lot of time driving around and I, in back of my mind that, that piece that I had scouted in the spring was just like, I need to go down and just look at it, see how much pressure it is, has, it has. So we just made a loop down around there. And basically we never got out of the truck, but we just drove that side road and they're all dirt roads there. We drove that dirt road just to see if anybody had been pulled off to the side, parked, saw tire tracks, anything like that. And it looked like it was relatively untouched. So knowing that I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go scout my way in there tomorrow on November 10th and um, see what I can find. So November 10th comes, I make the trip down there. Um, I decide I'm going to scout my way in. So again, with the access only coming from the North, uh, we had a North, I'm trying to think we had a, a, a north northwest wind that day so i had to be careful about how i was getting into that piece with access only coming from the north i didn't want to blow the whole thing out so i you know parked in an area or a, a spot on the road where people could visually see my truck because i didn't want anybody walking in on me um it was a small enough piece i felt like if there wasn't someone else that had interest in it if they saw a truck parked in an obvious spot they would say hey somebody's hunting here i'm just gonna you know drive past and let this guy do his thing so Parked my truck in an obvious spot, walked way down the road, kind of circled around the piece. And the piece laid out like um, kind of like a lazy W. So you had a creek running from the northwest to the southeast that was kind of like a C-shaped. And then there was two points of uh, like timber fingers kind of sticking out in that CRP. So I remembered where we had bumped deer in the spring and where we saw most of that sign or had a relatively good idea. I had some pins marked on Onyx from um, that spring trip. So I got on the downwind side of that second finger of timber and just scouted my way in. I got, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 yards into the timber and there was a locust, uh, a locust thicket there and deer were just smashing pods. I mean, the, the pods were all chewed up, grounds all pawed up, pawed up. So there's a lot of feeding sign. There was some buck sign there. So I just continued to scout my way in, basically followed a deer trail that was just inside the edge of that timber. And uh, I went like a hundred more yards and I bumped, uh, bumped a couple of does. The does took off and they were bedded in a weird spot, man. They were bedded in some really, really thick, like, um, like reedy vegetation. It wasn't cattails or phragmita or anything like that, but just this really stemmy, um, like reeds. I don't even know what it was, but it was like super tall, like 10, 10, 12 feet tall. Like you couldn't see in it. You couldn't see out of it. And, um, anyway, so I bumped those does and they ran into the inside corner of where that, that, uh, timber finger kind of went back towards the, towards the Creek. There was an inside corner there that had kind of a, uh, a cedar thicket and the CRP met. So knowing that's where they went, that that's where they ran. I was just going to basically follow them to see um, what was going on. So when I walked that inside corner, I was kind of looking off in the distance where the does ran and I saw a buck with his nose to the ground. Didn't get a like super hard look, look at him. Uh, looked like maybe like 120 inch deer or something like that. But at that point in time, like I had my sticks 
uh, on my back with my pack, had my bow in my hand. So when I saw that deer, I just kind of tucked into the cedar thicket with my back to the cedars and um, busted out my rattling antlers, got, got an arrow knocked. And I kind of just set up on the ground and made some ground noise. Like there was another buck rubbing a tree or working a scrape, you know, I was rubbing a tree, pawing at the ground just to see if I could get him drawn kind of back out into uh, that CRP to get a better look at him. So I sat there for like 20 minutes, uh, made two calling sequences. Nothing ever happened. So at that point, I'm oh. like, my bad, dude. No, you're good. I had catastrophic failure over here. My heater went down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt so, the story. No, man. Any, interrupt anytime. If you have any questions or anything, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just interject. But um, so I made that calling sequence and that deer never came back out in the CRP. And at that point, I'm like, all right, well, obviously it's November 9th or November It's November 10th. It's November 10th. A couple of does just ran through here. I'm sure one of them is in estrus. Like I'm not going to pull him off of a hot doe. Um, so I kind of picked my stuff up, got situated in my pack. And as I turned around to that cedar thicket, well, at that point in time, I'm thinking, all right, there's a buck in here. There's a couple hot does. Like I just need to get set up into a tree where I could see it was really windy there as it is kind of always in Kansas. Um, so I couldn't see anything and being on the ground, I can't really see any, uh, see anything. So I can't hear anything. I'm at a visual disadvantage. I'm like, I got to get elevated and get up in a tree. So I turned around to kind of survey, um, you know, what was around me. And when I turned around and looked in the edge of that cedar thick, I caught a, a pretty big rub, like thigh size and probably waist to chest high. I'm like, all right, that's, so I went over to get a better look at it in it. Um, when I went over, the shavings are on the ground, so it's fresh rub. It wasn't bleeding, but it, you know, it had been made in like last week or week, 10 days or something. And um, so I'm looking at that rub, and as I kind of turned and made my way through that cedar thicket, and I say a cedar thicket, it man, it must have been 10 yards wide and maybe 15 yards long. I mean, not not real big. But as I turned around, I caught another rub. And then a third rub and a fourth rub and a fifth rub and a sixth rub. There was a, uh, a cluster of rubs, like 12, 13, 14 rubs in there. And right dab smack in the middle was a dirt worn bed, like worn to the ground. Um, some of the rubs were old. Some of the rubs were from this year. So it was like historically had been used. There was hair in the bed. There was an entry trail that came in. And then there was a very distinct exit trail. And I'm like, damn it. I bumped like whatever was in here. Like I'm for sure bumped them. And I sat there for a minute thinking, all right, well, I just saw that 120 inch rack buck. Maybe he was bedded there, but the sign looked the sign was too big to come from a deer like that, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm like, well, all right, well, either way, I know that there's bucks here. I know that there's, you know, hot does here. Um, I'm in this inside corner with this little perfect kind of pinch kind of set up. Um, I've the damage is already done. I just need to finish scouting my way out and figure out you know, the other pieces of the puzzle. So I walked that exit trail. Uh, I got on that exit trail and I walked it and it was, it kind of bordered the Creek. So again, coming from the, the way this kind of laid out from the road is to the North. And then there's several hundred yards, like six, 700 yards of CRP. And then there's timber and the backside of the timber to the South, there's a Creek. And then on the South side of the Creek, there was a uh, just a bunch of like brushy high stem count stuff that had a little bit of topography kind of went up maybe 20, 30 feet. So as I'm walking through this exit trail, it's um, more high stem count stuff, a lot of brush, um, a lot of briars, small locust saplings, just nasty deadfalls down, just thick, nasty high stem count stuff. And that exit trail 
went through that, followed along the creek, and basically came to a more open area, almost where that inside corner kind of dumped into the timber. There was some sporadic cedars there. It was kind of grassy, and there was a couple of treetops that had kind of fallen over. And right where those treetops had fallen over, the, the, the exit trail split. One went um, down towards the creek, and the trail that went towards the creek, there was several kind of a, a row of cedars that kind of bordered the creek, and they were all rubbed, um, all fresh rubs. I didn't cut any tracks, which is kind of weird, I guess. I don't know. But um, the creek had water, but it wasn't like it wasn't like a sandy soil bottom creek, which I don't I don't I mean, most of the stuff we saw in Kansas was pretty sandy soil, but that just wasn't the case there. So knowing that that's where the exit trail was, that trail basically went right to where those does ran through right where that buck came through with his nose to the ground. I'm like, this is the spot. Let's let me get set up. You know, I get up I need to get up in a tree. So if anybody has hunted Western, Western Kansas, your tree setups are pretty limited. You're in eight foot cottonwoods. You have locust trees and you have trees that are more cottonwoods that are just like leaned over just nasty, like 45 degrees, really tough to get uh, a decent setup. And so I pick a tree and as I'm getting set up, I'm just getting frustrated. I can't get my stand set where I want it. Um, can't get my stick set where I want them because the trees are so big. And I literally have bucks chasing does underneath me while my bow is on the ground and I'm standing on sticks. So I got my GoPro out, my phone out. I'm filming this stuff happened. I'm like, geez, oh man, I just need to get freaking set up. And that went on for like an hour. And finally I was just like, I'm not, I can't get set up in the street. It's not going to work. I need to tear this stuff down and just sit on the ground. Like deer are here. They don't care that I'm here. Um, you know, if a shooter comes through, like I need to be able to, you know, this isn't going to work. I need to make something happen. So I got down and tucked myself into uh, a small little cluster of cedars, grabbed a deadfall, built like a little makeshift ground blind, basically. So in that ground blind, I'm facing north. The creek is to the south and that um, the bed and then exit trails to my west. So it's off to like my nine o'clock. And I finished that evening with... I don't know, five or six rack bucks chasing those does just to death out in front of me, just all over the place. Um, I mean, within 10 yards, 12 yards, 20 yards, but nothing of any substantial size. I can never pick my bow up and said, okay, like I'm, I'm going to shoot this deer, you know? So I knew I needed to get out of there clean that night, which I felt like I did um, looped way around and I uh, made it back to the truck and going, I knew I was going to go back and hunt that spot. You'd be foolish not to, right? You got hot does in the area. You got bucks in there, big buck sign, but I had no idea that buck could have been dead shot two days ago before I got there. I would have had no clue, but I knew I was going to go back in in the morning and hunt that same spot. So knowing that there were hot does in there, I didn't want to go in like before shooting light. Cause I didn't want to bump anything. Cause if a, you know, if a shooter buck got with that doe overnight, like if I bump that one doe, like that could be my hunt, you know, that could be, could be it. So I waited for gray light, walked in on gray light, kind of took the same uh, entry as I did the first day, looped way around, got in there. What I felt like was, was clean. Um, didn't bump any deer, didn't see any deer. Didn't have my first deer sighting until about quarter after eight, maybe eight twenty, eight thirty, somewhere in there. And uh, just caught a buck on the backside of that Creek to the South. And he ended up crossing the Creek is actually where I first um, knew he was there. Cause I, I could hear him walk on a Creek and this deer came up behind that cedar tree at like five yards. 
I mean, literally this cedar tree is maybe eight feet tall. So I don't know how wide the branches are like the size of a big Christmas tree. Basically this 120 inch deer came in and stood right there. And he was like doing one of these things, kind of doing the, the head bob. He didn't know I was there. My wind was blowing just off to the, I guess, out of the, more out of a West. So it was more of a Northwest wind on the 11th. And um, he was like, just hanging out there, you know? So I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. Neither one of us can really see each other real good. But then I caught more movement back behind him um, to the South side of the Creek. There was a, a much bigger deer. I got a very good look at him, about 150 inch um, mainframe 10 pointer was working from the west to the east kind of in the same line that that 120 inch deer took and while i was watching that deer that 120 inch deer kind of he's kind of spooked um so i don't know if he got a little bit of my scent or or maybe he saw my head move or whatever the case was and he when he took off i just snort wheezed and pawed the ground a couple of times like there was another deer there so when i did that that 150 inch deer at that time was like he was at 20 yards but i couldn't I couldn't shoot him. He was just on the opposite side of that cedar tree, had no shot. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The 120 inch deer worked back to the West and that 150 inch deer followed him, but I had enough cover where I was, where I was actually physically able to get up and kind of parallel that bigger deer on the other opposite side of the Creek. Cause I thought at any point in time, if that deer crosses the Creek, cause we're already, with, I'm within 40 yards of him. Um, if he crosses that Creek, I get a shot. Like I'm going to, I'm going to shoot this deer. So, I followed him for probably 60 yards, just kind of paralleling him. And uh, I just kind of lost visual. Um, they both kind of worked, worked their way over to that, uh, that finger of timber and never saw him again. So at that point in time, I came back to that ground setup and actually had another rack buck come in that I was able to film, came in from the CRP side. It came into like maybe 45 yards or something. And at one point in time, I picked my bow up and said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot this deer if it, if it comes in and it just kind of hung up out on that edge and, and never gave me a, like a super, super clean shot. So I just filmed them, let them go. But, um, I made it back to that ground blind setup, And I just kept telling myself, I got to get into a freaking tree. Cause if I was in a tree that morning, I was, I could have shot that 150 inch deer. So somewhere between 10 AM and I'm going to say two o'clock, I probably got up three or four times out of that ground blind and was just trying to find a tree that I could get set up in, whether it was the right size, couldn't do it. Or if it was the right size, there was too much, um, too many limbs to work around or, you know, those low, damn locust trees had those giant freaking thorns on them. Um, just couldn't make anything happen. So finally I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to get into a tree. I need to make this work where I am. But if, those deer do the same thing they did this morning, especially if there's a deer in that bed, I need to be able to shoot to that Creek. So I just basically cut or broke a bunch of branches, not a bunch, but broke a handful of branches and made a little, not even a basketball size window to shoot through. And I said, okay, if they do that same thing, like that's my shot. I got to know, got to be able to see them. I got to be able to know that's my one shot. And if they get past that point, they're probably going to catch my wind. So I, I did that, got set up, got the camera set up. Um, I sat flat down on my butt facing that bed. So now I'm facing West to my three o'clock. I have uh, the CRP, that inside corner. And then out, out of side of that, I guess is the road to my nine o'clock. I have the Creek and um, that small rib of, uh, of cedar trees. And behind me, I have a deadfall, which is wide open, but the wind is kind of cutting me up, kind of hit me in the, in the, uh, the right side of my face. So it's kind of, 
kind of blowing across my face towards that Creek. So I had a good wind for my setup, but it wasn't a great wind for the deer per se. So again, three o'clock I'm sitting on my butt and uh, my knees have been killing me. been sitting on my knees all freaking day. My feet were going numb. So I said, I'm going to sit on my butt for a little while at four 30, I'll get back up on my knees and, you know, ready to shoot. So I have sitting down facing that bed, had my bow flat across my lap and uh, at four o'clock I could in those treetops where that exit trail stopped or split, I guess I could see a deer moving behind these treetops. And that's at like 13 yards. Okay. Like that's in the freaking bubble already. So I'm watching this deer and I can't tell what it is. All I can see is little spots of Brown. I could see a nose, never could see any antlers, could never see a, a, a real good glimpse of its actual body. So in my mind, I'm like, it's probably, you know, one of those does that came through here yesterday and she's just making sure the coast is clear and she doesn't want to get harassed by any bucks. And I'm watching this deer, you know, stick its nose in the wind and do this thing and nibbling on some branches. And it's there for like three or four minutes, man. Like it's, all, you know, and it, it's walking with a tailwind. The wind's blowing over its back. So I'm watching this thing. And then it turns and follows that deadfall. And all of a sudden, this deer jumps over like the base of that deadfall. So over the, over the log portion. And all I see is a wall of freaking tines. I mean, a freaking wall. And I'm like, holy shit, that is a freaking giant. When he jumps over the log, he lands dead smack in that little basketball size window, like right in my shooting window, he lands and takes two more steps. And now he is on the opposite side of that cedar tree to my left at like three yards, maybe not even three yards, maybe six or seven feet. Like he is right there. I am flat on my butt. Now I have my bow vertical. I'm like, if this deer takes two more steps, he's going to catch my wind. Like I got to draw and I got to get to my knees to get turned around because I need to be able to shoot basically at my seven, seven o'clock. I'm like, I can't do it flat on my butt. So I draw my bow. I'm in, I got cedar branches all around me. I have a camera on a tripod set up. I have 170 inch deer, six feet away from me. I'm like, this is never, this is never going to work. This is the worst possible scenario. I'm like, how did you, how did you screw this up? So I managed to get one knee on the ground. So now I have one knee on the ground. My right leg is flat out and I'm just starting to try to get kind of turned. And I'm like, I, I can't do it. I'm going to bump the camera. I'm going to bump a lamb and this deer is going to, going to bust. So I'm like, I got to let my bow down and I got to get my other, my other leg up. So when I let my bow down, the deer snapped its head around and I'm like, God damn it. I, wrong, wrong move. Deer six, six feet away from me. Now I'm never going to be able to draw on him again. Like what did I just do? I should have been patient. Um, so now I'm kicking myself in the butt for, for letting my bow down. The deer ends up picking his head back up and looking straight. And I could tell like his body tensed up, um, his ears were up and like, there was only a, a few seconds there. I'm like, all right, I have to do something or like, this is, you know, he's going to be out of my life forever. So right at that point in time, I just ripped my bow back and that deer turned around and took two steps, went through my shooting window and I blasted him at five yards, um, quarter and away, hit him high lung, complete pass through, blew through his other shoulder. And, uh, you know, great, great shot. Like I was freaking jacked. 
And I watched him go back towards his bed. He took off and I knew he was going to go back to that bed. And I just sat there. I sat there for 30 minutes. Um, kind of, I mean, I called my wife super emotional about it. And I was just like, I just shot a freaking Boone and Crockett deer. And I had, you know, I knew he was big. I didn't know how big he was, but I'm just like, I just shot a freaking giant on the ground at five yards, 70 yards from his bed at four o'clock in the afternoon. I was just going nuts. So, um, went to impact, you know, 30, 30, 40 minutes after, uh, after the shot and just found just big chunks of, of lung, like from the exit, never did find my arrow, but I'm shooting, I'm shooting an 80 pound bow, uh, like a 550 some grain arrow. And like that arrow ended up in Colorado. Like I knew I wasn't going to find yeah. it. It was, it was gone, but I, I, I had lung impact and then I had some blood when he jumped back over that deadfall. So I'm like, okay, got good blood. I'm just going to back out. So I went back to the truck and um, texted Clint and said, Hey man, I just, I just smoked a good one. Like feel really good about the shot. I'm just going to wait to go back in. Um, I'm going to wait to go back in till you, till you, till you get here. Cause so he was an hour and a half for me um, also hunting. So waited well after dark before we could go back in. And uh, the long and short of it is that deer didn't never made it back to his bed. He went 50 yards and, um, and died before he could get back to his bed. So it was, um, it was just incredible, man. Um, I, you know, never, I am, I don't really, we tape our deer. We don't score them. like put them in the books or anything, but he taped out at, um, uh, 174 even. Um, so 174 inch mainframe 10 with a flyer off his right G2. I mean, just everything you could ever ask for just giant, typical frame, good beams. He had like 46 inches of mass or something stupid like that. Uh, just an awesome tight, only like a 17 or 18 inch spread, but it's just super tall tines, freaking awesome, awesome deer, man. Yeah. I told, I told homie, I said, man, Chad just killed a giant. He's like, really? <laughs> I think he was hunting. Or maybe we both were hunting, and then he looked later, and he was like, "Holy shit, he did kill a giant!" I'm like, "I told you, dude, he just killed a hammer." But I love when I see those posts. I'm like, "Yeah, man, I I know the guys that deserve it." I'm like, "That guy deserved that shit." So I was super jacked. But just like I said, when I was watching that video, I'm like, "Man, this is this is different." You know, you could have you knew the bucks were in the area, and you felt good about the area, but you could have been like, "All right." I can't hunt here because I can't get in the tree. You could have just washed it up. You bumped a few deer the first day. You could have been like, I can't get in a tree back there. I bumped deer. I'm not going to go back. I'll maybe try somewhere else. But you did the right thing. And and the more I hunt, and you were saying that there's more, you know, there's more people signing shit. Them big deer have a way <clears throat> to work around those people. I don't know how they do it, but they – I mean, they live, we track them for three, four years and they live. And like, you would think a lot of people know about them, but very few people know about the deer and they just have a way of doing it, uh, to get around. But you made all the right moves, even though it felt like in your, like in your body, that was all the wrong moves. You know what I mean? Like, oh, for yeah. me, I'm like, I can't get it done here. This is stupid. I'm wasting my time. Like that's, you know, and made the right call by saying this is where i need to be the science here 
the deer here. I'm just going to have to make it, you know, will it to work when it happens. Right. right. The, the one thing to your point about, um, you know, those old big deer find a, a little neck doing something different and, you know, surviving for five, six, seven years, the way that that bed laid out that deer, any from the, the most common access to that piece was coming from the Northwest, right? Where that basically the Creek crossed the road. So with any kind of Northwest wind or dead North wind, if you weren't looping all the way around that, the backside of that piece, that deer could smell any human coming in there. Um, and he could also smell, he was downwind of the, of where I kind of essentially bumped those does as well. So like he was downwind of the doe bedding, um, downwind of, you know, human access. So he just had that little spot. And again, it wasn't very big, but he had that little spot figured out where he was next to the Creek. So he had thermals kind of pulling there from, from the Creek, you know, upstream coming downstream. And the thing is like in the spring, when we were, we had three guys on that piece. And it's, again, it's like 250 to maybe 280 acres. So not a big piece. A lot of it was CRP. We, when we spring scouted that, we did not find that bed or see that, all those rubs right there. So it's just like, we missed it when we were there in the spring. And I caught it there when I was in the fall, when I was there in the fall. Yeah. I feel like when I spring, spring scout, I, I miss a lot of shit too. It's because even when I'm shed hunting, it's because you're moving so fast. You're like, Oh, let's see what's over here. And when you're hunting, I always tell people, you know, we go in with stands on our back and we don't really, we have a destination in mind, but it could change. And your whole, you're a, you're a predator then when you're scouting, you're going really slow. You're really, so when I get, when I get into like a spot that I like now, I try to be like, all right, let's try not to bump any deer. Even if it's mm -hmm. January or February or whatever, I'm going to try to go into like a hunt mode see how the deer are using the terrain and right now with the snow on man imagine if you go out when the snow's on out there you could really see how deer oh, kind of yeah. use use the area and uh but i was watching that i'm like man that just it's such a cool hunt because i've always liked kansas that grassy open ground love mm -hmm. the white tail adrenaline guys and just the the thrill of like them Kansas has got that certain type of deer, you know what I mean? They're just a different, different look to them. When you're like, oh yeah, it was probably a, a either a Nebraska deer or a Kansas deer, you know, they just yeah. look a certain way. And I've always been drawn to that. And, uh, they, uh, for anybody that one wondered that it's on the Exodus, uh, YouTube video videos, you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta watch the video. You do an awesome job explaining kind of how, how the setup was, um, the layout of it and uh kind of go into more of the more of the story than just you know talking about it but couldn't have happened to a better person and really i mean all those misencounters on those other deer were kind of a uh, bad thing you know <laughs> or kind of a good thing you know to be able to because now you know you kill the giant deer but you also seen two or three other shooters that were in that area you kind of know how it lays out now and that's a spot that you can go back in the future and probably have some pretty good hunts on. That's one thing we say on this podcast. Once you find an area, as long as no one goes in there, it really ruins it. You can keep that in the bank for 10 years and go back and check that area out. And I feel like when a guy gets, you know, 50, 60, it has all these spots 
and he just kills and kills and kills because he's go. He's like, well, five years ago, this is pretty good. And then he swings over there and boom, it's good. You know, it's still good. So I feel like finding those spots in a different state is super incredible because you can be like, oh, yeah, I know a pretty good Kansas Kansas spot that's kind of out of the out of the way. And right. There was um, so I I killed on the on the fourth day and I ended up staying out there um, longer with Clint and basically filmed him and and glassed while he was hunting, try to locate deer. And we we it was it was one of those weird things because our expectations or goals to go out there was just like Pope and young or better. You know, I want 125, 130 inch deer. I want to kill them on the ground spot and stock. Like that's what kind of I had in my mind. And we didn't see a ton of 120, 130 inch deer. We saw a crap ton of rack bucks, like one and two year olds. And then we, I think that we saw five or six, maybe seven deer over 150 inches. Um, so there was just like, we saw rack bucks and we saw big deer. <laughs> yeah. And there was like no, um, no in between, like the age structure is a little bit weird, but I think uh, we talked to some private landowners and they had said that they, had gotten some EHD. I can't remember if they said in 2020 or 2019. So that's kind of what we attributed that, that age structure um, to with a lot of younger deer. And then, you know, that, that upper end caliber deer too. Yeah, definitely a trip to remember. And like I said, now it's a spot that you can kind of look forward to going back and you have that one trip, you know, you were successful, but people go on a trip and they're not, they, well, I didn't kill, but man, you just learned so much by walking that ground and you did the right thing. You're kind of on deer, you know, seeing a few deer, but you're like, man, it could be better over here. It could be, you did, you never sat satisfied with where you're at. And by not being satisfied, you found a spot that hopefully you can hold for a few years and keep plucking bucks off, you know? Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on and telling the story. Like I said, I wanted more people to hear it just because I feel like it's that that kind of story doesn't it's like old school hunting you know what i mean it doesn't happen a lot and it's you're, you're just a normal dude you're limited on time and you're going out there and then you kill an absolute mega giant like a buck of a lifetime for a lot of people you know what i mean yeah. so i feel like a lot of people not only need to hear it because it's a badass story but also it, it can't be done like it's not this isn't oh, for sure something that you got to be a, a full-time hunter or Anybody can do it if you put the work in, you know what I mean? hundred percent. So as, as we wrap this up, uh, I mean, you gotta be feeling pretty awesome about this season. You guys had a great season at Exodus and, and hunting, but, uh, what's your feelings on the season and what, what is your outlook for next year look like? Well, um, I've kind of gotten bitten by this Western bug thing, man. I went on my first kind of backpack, uh, Western hunt in September in 2021. And it was, a really it was a crappy tag i mean the success rate in that in that zone was four percent not a lot of elk there and we in the terrain's just stupid and we knew that going in and uh my mentality is like the terrain's bad it's gonna keep a lot of people away people are probably unsuccessful in that unit because they're not working hard enough like i will i could take care of that like i will we'll go miles we'll do whatever we have to do we will outwork them and find elk that wasn't the case at all. We got our butts kicked. Um, but this year I drew a really, 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 really coveted tag for Idaho. So nice. I'm jacked, but the downside is I'm the only one in the group that drew. 
So I'll be hunting it by myself. And yeah. I am, I'm a terrible elk hunter. I know like very, very little about elk, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. It should be a much better experience um, compared to 2021. So I'm jacked about it. Super excited about that. Um, I have a week to take off in September to get out there and, and, uh, try to fill that tag. So that's going to be, dude, I just, I just love the physicality of it. The, the mental, um, the mental side of it. Um, I felt like, I don't know the being out there with that much ground and being able to roam and explore like that just fits my personality, I guess. Idaho Um, is absolutely beautiful, dude. I spent a lot of time, almost a month in the sand point area and then went over into Montana and whitefish okay. and that's like the northern part of Idaho and yep. dude it's just some rugged beautiful and tons of wildlife dude this oh yeah it was we would we would be going to work and there'd be like bighorn sheep just like feeding in some guy's yard out there I'm like this is so cool <laughs> those guys lived out there they're like oh yeah there's some sheep over there I'm like dude that's a that's a giant bighorn sheep right there like but yeah, yeah, that'd that'd be a, a wild ride for sure. That'd be another long trip for you. Holy smokes, that'd be like 27, 28 hours, isn't it? Probably. Uh, it took us twenty five to get to the spot that we hunted in twenty twenty one, and this is a couple hours south of that. So, yeah, yeah, man. and long trip, but yeah. definitely worth it. Yeah, that should be. Uh, I'm so I'm super excited and jacked about drawing that tag. Um, that'll be a big priority to to fill that. Got to scout I, some mule deer and some whitetail while you're out there too. Dude. dude, there's a lot. There's more whitetail out there than what people realize. Yeah, man. there's a shit. I I uh, I actually found some whitetail sheds out there when I was out there, and I was like, oh, but there's a ton of mule deer too. Yeah. But I uh I I actually found some whitetail sheds while I was out there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I know it's not really a. I'd listen to your guys' podcast about you know the five most underrated hunters, and. Yeah. uh that guy from Idaho, I'd never even heard of him before. And I did some research after I listened to you, but definitely some giants out there, but that'd be oh, yeah. a cool place to scout for whitetail. Cause that's probably an easier tag to draw than an elk. Yeah. I would assume. Yeah. yeah. Much, much easier, but there's, yeah. To your point, a ton of, we saw a ton of mule deer, a ton of whitetails. We saw a lot of moose while we were out there too. Um, but just no elk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I have that going in September and then I should draw Iowa. So I've been buying points for Iowa the last four or five years and um, I'll apply and see what happens. I should draw it. I'm planning to draw it. Um, so, I mean, that's like, man, you're going to have an epic year. It's going to be a hell yeah, of a year. I, yeah. I don't know what else you could ask for. No, um, yeah. should draw Iowa that I got a primo elk tag in a, in an unbelievable unit or an unbelievable zone. And that's pretty much it. My approach to hunting, I guess, has kind of shifted over the last couple of years where, I'm spending November kind of out of state, which kind of seems counterintuitive to some people, I guess, because I'm not hunting my own backyard and spending, you know, doing those evening hunts around, you know, your life schedule um, around the house. So hunting October and hunting December and and I guess January um, in Ohio. And I had one, no, I had zero hunts this year in Ohio actually I had zero hunts all year within five hours of my driveway. So I never even hunted my backyard. I, well, one time I sat one time. Yeah. Damn. I sat one, one time and, uh, got busted on the 120 inch eight pointer I was after. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so a lot of, a lot of big stuff happening, I guess on my, on the personal side in, in 2022. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, I, I could see traveling in November. You I mean, you want to go on those trips when you got the best odds of killing, you know, and if, right. if, uh, if it's anything like moose in Iowa, man, that guy goes over there and he's, I'm talking to him. He's like, this is the, there's white tailed giants everywhere. I'm like, I, crazy, man. I'm on some giants, but they, it was like 75. And he's like, I seen four shooters today. I'm like, yeah, I seen a squirrel, bro. That's it. Yeah. I don't know where you're at, but it's a different world for sure. Yeah. Sounds like it, but all right. Well, I appreciate your time, man. And I won't take up any more of your night, but uh, we'll hop off here. Anything that you want to let the listeners know where they can find you, where they can check out Exodus or anything like that. All things pretty much across the board, all things Exodus trail cameras or Exodus outdoor gear. We have, uh, as you mentioned, a couple podcasts, YouTube channel and you know, the website. So you Google that, you'll find us. Yeah. All right, man. We appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. All right, guys. Well, do, does not get much better than that. Um, normal guy out there chasing the dream to kill a Kansas giant, killing them off the ground, public land, sitting on his butt, making moves, scouting, finding the bed. Um, just a badass story. Chad's such a solid dude. Um, solid company. Um, guy puts in hell of work. Been chasing giants in the big woods, so really really awesome that he was able to go out there and get it done i love to see my buddies be successful and uh, like i said he does have a really good video of this on youtube laid out um but so you guys can watch it but i appreciate you guys listening all the way to the end um we love you guys you guys gave us an incredible year this last year um hoping we can keep bringing awesome content for you uh this coming year and uh, we can just keep growing with you guys um just love and respect for you guys for listening to us all the way on and uh, appreciate the listens in the future and uh, always try to do the right thing and try to leave a legacy and White Tail Legacy is out. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.